Transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world and a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Testimonies, Volume 8, page 28. This coming week begins the division of our society into two classes. Those that have been injected and those that have not. Those who have not will be banned from entering certain businesses. COVID has been a Trojan horse. Its bowels have harboured a dark secret. It can now be seen that its whole purpose was to be able to place a mark against the names of those that won't submit to the mandates of the beast. It has been a pretext for deploying the technology required to enforce the mark of the beast. Those who have complied have received a digital certificate or pass. Thinking that this mark is a token of peace and safety, the naive citizens of Troy are happily dragging it into their cities. But once ensconced within their walls, when they realise the truth, it will be too late. Over time, unless new conditions are met, the certificate will be revoked. Soon cash will be abolished and replaced with a digital currency. And then only those with the certificate, with the mark, will be able to buy and sell. Coming events cast their shadows before them. Democracy is being made of no effect. Hyperinflation has already begun and will bring many to poverty and starvation. This crisis will be far worse than what befell Germany in the years leading up to the Holocaust. Those that cherish liberty of conscience, those that are opposed to this mark of compliance are labelled conspiracy theorists, anti-social extremists. Persecution has already begun. Conscientious objectors are increasingly being locked out from society. They are barred from entering certain places of business, from travelling, from voting, from working, from healthcare, and eventually from freely exercising their religion. How will you survive the mark? It is a fearful time for all living. As bad as this turn of events in the world is, there is a more pressing crisis upon us. It is not an economic crisis. It is not a political crisis. It is not a crisis of religious worship. It is a crisis that will catch most of God's people as an overwhelming surprise, not because we have not been warned, but because we, like the disciples before the crucifixion, we do not believe or even think that it is possible. Joel 2.1 Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Blow ye the trumpet, not from Zion, but in Zion. Not to the world, but to his church. It is not those in Babylon that need to tremble, but those in God's church. A tempest is about to burst upon us. Not from the outside, but from the inside. As First Selected Messages 1.22 says, we have far more to fear from within than from without. When the church expects peace and safety within its own borders, a fearful crisis is just before us. Jeremiah 8.15 We looked for peace, but no good came, and for a time of health, and behold, trouble. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, saith the Lord. We have so much light that we are blinded by it, like a deer staring into the headlights of an oncoming road train. 
We are ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. We are like the disciples who never saw the crisis coming. The coming crisis in the church is unexpected because many refuse to believe that it is possible. They cannot accept that God in his love and mercy would permit such a thing to take place. They believe that even if such a crisis were to come, they would not fear for God in his love will somehow save them from it. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. They cry just before Jerusalem and its temple was destroyed. They thought that their form of religion and obedience to the religious leaders guaranteed God's protection. They are like the 250 princes of Israel who believe that their prayers and religious exercises made them and, quote, all the congregation holy, unquote, and accepted by God and presumptuously presented themselves with their senses before God who consumed them in an instant. Like the antediluvians before them, they felt secure in their own wisdom and ignored God's warnings until it was too late. They cried, peace, peace, when there was no peace and perished because they refused to believe that sudden destruction was coming upon them. As the earth was desolated and left bare by the waters of the flood and as Jerusalem was swept clean, leaving not one stone of the temple standing upon another, so too the coming crisis in the church will sweep away virtually everything and everybody. 1 Samuel 3.11 says, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. Like the crisis of the golden calf at Horeb and the test at Mount Carmel, this coming crisis will reveal who truly is on the Lord's side. It will separate the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats, the holy from the profane. It will separate those who serve self under the guise of serving God from those who truly are Christ's servants. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 80. The time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul in this time. The gold will be separated from the dross in the church. Chaff, like a cloud, will be borne away on the wind, even from places where we see only floors of rich wheat. Review and Herald, August 18, 1891. The great crisis is before us, and everyone is to act as though his own soul was at stake. The most important question of all is, how shall I save my soul for which Christ died? The coming crisis is known by various names. It's called the shaking, the testing time, the sifting. Testimonies 4, page 89, the shaking of God blows away multitudes like dry leaves. Prosperity multiplies a mass of professors. Adversity purges them out of the church. Sanctified life, page 12. The testing time will come to all when the hopes of many who have for years thought themselves secure will be seen to be without foundation. Testimonies 5, page 79. But the days of purification of the church are hastening on apace. In the mighty sifting soon to take place, we shall be better able to measure the strength of Israel. And Christian service, page 49. In the last solemn work, few great men will be engaged. The Lord has faithful servants who in the shaking, testing time will be disclosed to you. How many will be swept away? How many will survive this crisis? In Noah's day, eight out of untold millions. In Moses' day, it was two out of two million who entered the promised land. In Jesus' day, only thousands out of millions of Sabbath keepers did not perish at the destruction of Jerusalem. And these things are written for our examples. 
Testimonies, Volume 1, page 608, says, I was shown the startling fact that but a small portion of those who now profess the truth will be sanctified by it and be saved. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 136, Soon the great proportion of those who now appear to be genuine and true will prove to be base metal. 1888 materials page 1455 but a small number of those who have had great light and abundance opportunities and continuous privileges have anything more than a theoretical knowledge of the truth many think that such a knowledge is all that is required they are not doers of the word testimonies volume 5 page 136 the majority will forsake us this will be our test and five testimonies, 2.13, not all who profess to keep the Sabbath will be saved. And if you think that this is just Ellen G. White's personal opinion, Isaiah 17.46, And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean, and it shall be as when the harvestman gathers the corn, and reapeth the ears with his arm, and it shall be as he that gathereth ears in the valley of Rephaim. Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it, as the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the uttermost bough, four or five in the utmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord God of Israel. And if that is not clear enough, Christian Service, page 41, it is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. Oh, you say, that was 150 years ago. That doesn't apply to us now. Upward look, page 352. The Great Apostasy. This was written in 1905. Which is developing and increasing and waxing stronger and will continue to do so until the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. Is the church and its members now holier than when these statements were made? Can it be that today, out of the millions that believe the truth and keep the Sabbath, the vast majority will be lost? Can it be that almost all who now think themselves to be wheat will prove themselves to be tares? Can it be that the majority of God's professed people are self-deceived? Can it be that as the Jews rejected Christ in favour of Barabbas, the majority of church members and leaders will reject the Holy Spirit and seek a counterfeit one. What will you do if and when the vast majority of those you fellowship with, those that you admire and respect, bow before the beast and receive its mark? Will you join them? Or will you stand alone and refuse the mark? This coming crisis is indeed a fearful time. There is a fearful woe upon the church and its leaders. But you might say, we are safe and secure in God's love. And love casts out fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? What is there to fear? Others might say, we are safe on this ship. The crew is wise and will steer us safely. You know, the passengers and crew aboard the Titanic also felt no fear. The ship was designed to be unsinkable in the event of disaster, even if water entered into a few of its watertight compartments. But the unexpected took place, and water entered into most of its compartments. It was not the icebergs that caused the passengers and crew to perish. Neither was it the mismanagement of the careless crew. They perished because they refused to believe that there was any danger. 
they perished because when the warning was given, they refused to climb into the lifeboats. Today, we are heading full steam ahead into the mighty shaking. Many believe their ship is unsinkable. Disaster is unthinkable. Their trust in the ship's design and the crew's management have driven away all fear. They think that the ship may take on a little water, but the majority of its compartments will not be breached. Their feelings of peace and safety, their self-assurance lead them to ignore God's warnings. They see no need to climb into the lifeboats. The sealing angel will pass them by. Their names will be blotted out of the book of life. We ought to greatly fear because we are told that many will be deceived. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. What could this delusion be? There is no stronger delusion than that which we have chosen to believe. In Signs of the Times, February 20, 1901, we are told that the same deceptions that took place prior to the destruction of Jerusalem will be repeated. What were those deceptions? It was the teaching that as long as they clung to the forms of their God-appointed religion, as long as they clung to their faith and kept his ordinances and obeyed the religious leaders, that God would save them in the end. The priests even hired false prophets to convince the people that Jerusalem would be spared and not destroyed by the Romans. They were self-deceived about their standing with God. They presumed God's protection while they were as verily without God and without hope as the Gentiles. Ought we to fear that like them we might also be self-deceived? and presume God's protection while we are also without God, without hope, as the common atheist. You see, the Apostle Peter, he had no fear. He was similarly deluded. He was confident that when the crisis came, he would follow Christ even to death. He felt assured in his own self-deception. He trusted in his own baptism. His belief in Christ, his years of church membership and service to Christ, the many miracles he had personally performed, his daily relationship and communion with Jesus. But all this was of no avail when the crisis came. He had never been fully converted. His spiritual house was built on the sand and was to be swept away by the coming storm. His religious experience was inadequate It fell short of what God required. The only thing that mattered, he did not have. Ought we to fear that like Peter, we are self-deceived about our own conversion? Are we holier than he? How many miracles have we performed? Have you walked on the water? Testimonies, volume 7, page 13. I am alarmed for the people of God who profess to believe the solemn important truth. For I know that many who now profess to believe the truth are not converted nor sanctified through the truth. Men can hear and acknowledge the whole truth and yet know nothing of the power of godliness. All who carry the truth will not themselves be saved by the truth they preach. Only those who are truly converted, can withstand the supernatural capacity for self-deception, for double-think, to claim one thing while doing the exact opposite, to believe oneself to be serving God while serving self, to claim to be building on the rock while building on the sand, to believe one is on the narrow way while speeding down the broad way to hell. To believe the congregation is holy, even while it wallows in all that is profane. To believe in peace and safety, while sudden destruction awaits. Manuscript releases, page, volume 13, page 320. Our people need to humble their hearts and confess their sins and be converted. They need to fear and tremble, lest God's Spirit be withdrawn from them and they be left to the hardness of heart and blindness of mind because they have rejected the word God has given them. What does God say? 
Not only do we need to be converted, but we have rejected the Word of God. Nothing therefore remains for us but to fear that God's Spirit will be removed and we be cast out into darkness. Yet, you believe yourself to be converted. And so as did Israel, wherein have we rejected the Word of God? Well does Paul say, blindness has happened to Israel. Ought not this cause you to fear and tremble for your soul? Cursed are all those who reject the Word of God, the testimony of His Spirit. Cursed are all those that fear not. Blessed are those that in fear humble their hearts confess their sins and are truly converted. To be converted means to put no confidence in your acceptance of the truth. No confidence in your past experience, in your keeping of the Sabbath, in your own faith, in your church membership. Those who are converted realise that they need Christ as desperately as the worst of sinners. They fear self and pray to be saved from themselves. Letter 9, page 1894. Self is the enemy we need to fear. Christ's object lessons 161. Fearless self shall interpose between your soul and the great master worker. Fear to trust your own strength. Only in the fear of self is there any escape from self-delusion. You see, Peter clung to self while thinking he clung to Christ. Christ had identified him as an agent of Satan. He had rebuked his pride and selfish ambition and told him of his future treachery. But Peter preferred to think of himself as one who had been converted and chose to set aside Christ's words. And in rejecting Christ's warning, fell in the time of crisis. Only those that believe God's warning against their own souls and act on his word will, in the fear of self, stand through the coming crisis. Revelation 3.10 Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Can it be that we, like Peter, are also self-deceived with the delusion that as long as we are faithful to our religious convictions, we'll be safe in the coming crisis? Perhaps you think your belief in Jesus will save you, your keeping of the Sabbath, your church membership, your knowledge and study of the Bible. Perhaps your existing relationship with Christ guarantees you safety. How many of God's professed people, leaders and all, will, like Peter, think they are loyal to Christ and reject God's warnings against themselves? Adventist Review on Sabbath Herald, Volume 27, March 6, 1866, page 107. There are many Peters in the camp who are ready in the time of trial or persecution to deny their Lord. And may heaven help us, we have many Judases who will sell him for a few pieces of silver. Oh, that each with trembling may ask, Is it I? Is it I that will reject God's warning, thinking I am safe in his love? Is it I that am not converted, thinking my religious experience will get me through? Is it I that will cry peace and safety and fall in the crisis? Is it I that am serving self while thinking I am serving God? Is it I that when this test comes will sacrifice Christ rather than self? Mount of Blessings, page 144, says, and I'm paraphrasing, if we are to survive the crisis, it will be through the renunciation of self. Self-esteem and self-sufficiency must be crucified. 
So to summarise, the coming crisis is a fearful time when God will test his people. A few that are fearful of self and pleading with God will receive the seal of God, while many millions, the vast majority that feel themselves secure in their knowledge of the truth, their religious experience and church membership will be blotted out from the book of life. Now many like to reassure themselves that they will be safe in the coming crisis because God has promised in Amos 9.9 For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations like as corn is sifted in a sieve yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. But they never ever Read the verse that follows immediately after. All the sinners of my people shall die by the swords, which say, the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. Who are these sinners amongst God's people? They are those in the church whose sins have not been forgiven. Why have their sins not been forgiven? Because they have never been fully converted. Why are they only half converted? Because they have never experienced true repentance. They may believe and seek to obey God, but without true repentance, they are counted as sinners. Their attempt to serve God but hold the truth in unrighteousness, as Romans 1.18 says. Acts 3.19 Repent ye and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the mighty sifting comes, not one grain of wheat will fall. But as we read, all those who think their safety is ensured because they are part of God's church will die by the sword. Isaiah 33.14 says of this time, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Let's go back to Amos and let him describe the scene so that we have a better understanding of what Amos means. Amos 5.3 and then 16.17.18 For thus saith the Lord the city that went out by a thousand shall leave a hundred and that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts the Lord saith thus wailing shall be in the streets and in the, all the vineyards shall be wailing for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. What end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and no light. Who is he talking about? What do we call those that are looking forward to and hoping for the day of the Lord? Do I need to tell you? Woe unto you. You expect light, but will find darkness. You expect power, but will find weakness. You expect vindication, but will find humiliation. You expect victory, but will find defeat. You expect greatness, but will find obscurity. You expect safety, but will find sudden destruction. Only a few will survive. Why? Amos also tells us. Verse 10, chapter 5. They hate him that rebuketh at the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. You see, they refuse to hear. They reject the warning. They will all perish in the crisis. That cannot be, I hear. You are mistaken. You are misinterpreting the words of the Bible. Am I really? 
Letters and Manuscript, Volume 9, Letter 31A, 1894. We are amid the perils of the last days, and the time will soon come when the prophecy of Ezekiel 9 will be fulfilled. That prophecy should be carefully studied, for it will be fulfilled to the very letter. What does that prophecy say? Let's read it. Verse 2. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth towards the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And verses 5 to 7. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. Every word will be fulfilled to the very letter. Ezekiel also tells us that the majority in his church, in his sanctuary, in his house, in his courts, will be slain. There are many slaughtering angels for every one sealing angel. Both Ezekiel and Amos tell us that thou shalt die by the sword. What sword is this? Is it a literal sword? It is the sword of the Spirit. It is a spiritual death from which there is no resurrection. Like the Jews who continue their forms of worship in the temple after rejecting Christ, they remain physically alive but are spiritually dead. The names of the slain will remain on the church books in good and regular standing, even though they have been blotted out of the book of life forever. Testimonies, volume 5, page 210. The command is, go through the midst of the city and through the midst of Jerusalem, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sign cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. These sign crying ones had been holding forth the words of life. They had reproved, they had counselled, they had entreated. Some who had been dishonouring God repented and humbled their hearts before him. But the glory of the Lord had departed from Israel. And although many still continued their forms of religion, his power and presence were lacking. Why are they sighing and crying? Review and Herald. 23rd of October 1873 mark this point with care those who receive the pure mark of truth are those that sign cry for all the abominations that are done in the church how many can see any abominations in the church how many can see that God is dishonoured verily the blind are leading the blind how many will repent and humble their hearts when they see nothing to repent about? Those that survive not only distrust themselves but are weeping over the majority of professed Sabbath keepers who are about to be cut down because of their blindness and their refusal to heed God's warnings. Are you weeping between the porch and the altar? crying, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach. Joel 2.17 Or do you see no need, no reason to weep over God's professed people? Testimonies, volume 5, page 217 The church has turned back from following Christ, her leader, and is steadily retreating towards Egypt. Yet few are alarmed or astonished at their want of spiritual power. Doubt and even disbelief of the testimonies of the Spirit of God is leavening our churches everywhere. Satan would have it thus. Ministers who preach self instead of Christ would have it thus. Who are we following? Christ or those who are steadily 
leading us back into Egypt. If you see nothing to mourn about, there are only three possibilities. Either one, you are completely spiritually blind. Or two, you really don't care for God's people at all. Or three, the spirit of prophecy does not mean what it clearly says. Which one is it? The very last deception of Satan will be to make of none effect the Spirit of God. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 48. How are the testimonies of the Spirit being made of none effect? By claiming they are just Sister White's opinions and putting them on par with the theologians and priests of Babylon. Do we do that? Have you fallen for this deception? Does the church still hold the spirit of prophecy to be authoritative, divinely inspired words from the spirit of God or not? Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 84. One thing is certain. Those Seventh-day Adventists who take their stand under Satan's banner will first give up their faith in the warnings and reproofs contained in the testimonies of God's spirit. Who will fail the test? Those that are self-deceived. Those that refuse to hear the straight testimony. Those that want to hear smooth things. To be promised peace and safety. Those that despise those that sigh and cry from the abominations done in the church. Those that have made of none effect the testimony of God's Spirit. Testimonies, volume 5, page 211. The class who do not feel grieved over their own spiritual declension nor mourn over the sins of others will be left without the seal of God. The Lord commissions his messengers, the men with slaughtering weapons in their hands go after him through the city and smite and begin at my sanctuary. Here we see that the church, the Lord's sanctuary was the first to feel the stroke of the wrath of God. The ancient men those to whom God had given great light and who had stood as guardians of the spiritual interests of the people had betrayed their trust. They had taken the position that we need not look for miracles and the marked manifestation of God's power as in former days. Times have changed. These words strengthen their unbelief and they say the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. He is too merciful to visit his people in judgment. Thus, peace and safety is the cry from men who will never again lift up their voice like a trumpet to show God's people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. These dumb dogs that would not bark are the ones who feel the just vengeance of an offended God. Men, maidens and little children all perish together. Ought this not make you sign cry for the spiritual pride and abominations in the church? Ought this not make you weep between the porch and the altar grieving over your fellow church members that are about to be cut down by the destroying angel while they expect to be saved. Testimonies, Volume 3, 267, the general slaughter of all those who do not thus see the wide contrast between sin and righteousness is described in the order to the five men with slaughtering weapons. To summarise, this crisis will separate God's people into two classes, a few that are fearful of self and sigh and crying over those who are about to be cut down because of the abominations and deceptions in the church and the vast majority who feel safe and secure and are complacent about the spiritual condition of God's professed people. 
themselves included trusting in God's love while ignoring his warnings and justice. Now, we want to know when this will take place. Evangelism, page 234. The testing time has not yet come. But when the decree shall go forth enforcing the counterfeit Sabbath, the line will be clearly drawn between the false and the true. Review and Herald, December 11, 1888. A great crisis awaits the people of God. Very soon our nation will attempt to enforce upon all the observance of the first day of the week as a sacred day. Selected Messages, Volume 2, 368. When the law of God is made void, the church will be sifted by fiery trials, and a larger proportion that we now anticipate will give heed to the seducing spirits and doctrines and devils. And Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 81. The Lord has shown me clearly that the image of the beast will be formed before probation closes, for it is the great test for the people of God by which their eternal destiny will be decided. Now, as we see everything being prepared for the mark of the beast to be imposed on us, we know that this crisis is just upon us. The preparations are almost complete. Liberty of conscience is being denied. Laws are being changed. The masses are being deceived by the media. Dissenters are portrayed as a danger to society, as selfish, evil and obstinate that must be persecuted for the good of society. Very little remains now in the way when the image of the beast is formed in America. The slaughtering angels will begin their work of destruction within God's church. Does the Bible confirm this? Or is this just Sister White's opinion? Does the Bible tell us that Sunday worship is the trigger for this crisis? Let's go back to Ezekiel 8, the one immediately before Ezekiel 9, the one that tells us why the slaughtering angels are commissioned to do their work. Reading verses 16 to 18, And he brought me, into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about five and twenty men, with their backs towards the temple of the Lord, and their faces towards the east, and they worshipped the sun towards the east. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Who are these men in the temple that are worshipping the sun? Verse 11 tells us they are the ancient men. They are the leadership those that are considered by many to stand in the place of God, considered to be the voice of God. Manuscript 37, page 8, 1901. We hear that the voice of the conference is the voice of God. Every time I have heard this, I have thought it was almost blasphemy. Will church leaders promote the abomination of Sunday worship? No, you say. It is impossible. They most certainly will because the Spirit of the Lord has spoken it. Second Advent Review on Sabbath Herald, March 18, 1884. The Lord has a controversy. And we read that verse this morning. He has a controversy. With his professed people in these last days. In this controversy, men in responsible positions will not only ignore and despise the Sabbath themselves, 
but they will try to keep it from others by burying it beneath the rubbish of custom and tradition. In churches and in large gatherings in the open air, ministers will urge upon the people the necessity of keeping the first day of the week. Do you think that will happen? God has spoken. What will you do? Now, many believe that the Sabbath issue will be the test for God's people in this crisis. But the Sabbath is not the test. Instead, Sabbath keeping is like the graduation certificate. It is the evidence of having passed the test. Only when the test is over will the test result be made known. Then, only those who are sealed will be keeping the Sabbath. And then, it will become the test for those who have not known about it. The test did not come for the Apostle Peter as he was warming himself by the fire in the high priest's palace. His test took place before that time, when Jesus warned him that he was not converted and that Peter would deny him thrice before the cock crowed. It was then, when instead of repenting and asking Jesus to save him from himself, he rejected Christ's word and denied that he would do such a thing that he failed the test. The crowing of the cock in the middle of the crisis was just when his test grade was made public to all. Likewise, the test for God's people is not whether we are keeping the Sabbath. The Jews also keep it. The test is how we respond to the straight testimony that unless we repent and become converted, we will in the crisis deny Christ. Are you like Peter, sure that you are truly converted and would never do such a thing? Or will you accept God's word and seek salvation for himself through repentance before that time? It is when we cannot buy or sell that our test grade will be revealed. Those who fail the test will be found with the mark of the beast. The Sabbath will be the test of the world, but it is not the test of God's people. We are told that the majority of current Sabbath keepers will fail the test. And as a consequence, they will give up the Sabbath. Great Controversy, page 608. A large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. When the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy popular side. The fact that those Sabbath keepers who are not sanctified will give up the Sabbath proves that the Sabbath is not the test. If the Sabbath is only a sign, what is it? It's the sign of sanctification. It's a sign that you've passed the test. The sign that you've been sanctified. If it's only a sign that the test is over, that you have passed the test, then what is the test for God's people? What is it that causes this crisis in the church? Early writings, page 270. I asked the meaning of the shaking I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. Some will not bear this straight testimony. They will rise up against it and this is what will cause shaking amongst God's people. It is our response to the message of Laodicea, that is our test. It is the message that unless we humble ourselves and repent, 
from our self-confidence, from our self-esteem and from our self-deception that we will be blotted out from the book of life and perish as did the Jews. It is the message that while we think ourselves secure in God's love, He is about to spew us from His mouth. It is the message that we are not dead to self. And if self is not dead, Christ is not born in our hearts. Advent Review on Herald, April 1, 1858. Though there may be a mighty shaking, not one grain of wheat will fall to the ground. If we have hold by faith of the arm of Jesus, he will sustain us while every false hope or sandy foundation will fail. I praise God that there is a spirit that accompanies the message to the Laodiceans that does something for the receiver of the testimony. Yes, it kills him to self and the world and fills him with joy unspeakable. It is a call to repentance that either kills us to self or we will die an eternal spiritual death. Now, ye say, this message was given over 150 years ago. How is it our test in the future? Because we are told in Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 113, that while the message was important for them, it was to be repeated in the future. Although many of our own people claim to be Christians, that would perish unless they're converted. This message must go work that it has not yet done to prepare God's people to give the loud cry. Early writings 270. I saw that the testimony of the loud sins was designed to arouse the people of God to discover to them their backslidings and lead them to zealous repentance that they might be favoured with the presence of Jesus and be fitted for the loud cry of the third angel. The word Laodicea means a people judged. It is the message that our names are about to pass before the judgment in heaven while there is still time for repentance. It is the message that the judgment of the living is about to begin. A few, like Peter, will repent at the last moment of time, while many others, like Judas, will refuse to repent until it is too late. When the mark of the beast is enforced, it will, reveal, it will be revealed to all who we really serve, Christ or self, whether we have heeded the message throughout us here or not. In a letter, in Letters and Manuscripts, Volume 1, page 519, it says, and I know many people have never heard any of these quotes, the church must arise. They do not heed the message to the Laodicean church. The true witness speaks to a lukewarm church, be zealous and repent, but they scarcely hear the message. A few are afflicting their souls. A few are heeding the counsel of the true witness. Unless the church speedily arouses, they will go into darkness, be ensnared and overcome by the enemy. I saw that the Lord in judgment will at the close of time walk through the earth. The fearful plagues will begin to fall. The ministers of God will have done their last work offered their last prayers, shed their last bitter tear for a rebellious church and an ungodly people, said the angel. Jesus says, I know thy works, yes, selfish professed Sabbath keepers. God knows thy works, ye covetous world-loving Sabbath keepers, saith the angel. God knows thy works. I know thy works, saith the true witness. All thy deeds, says the angel, are passing in review before God. I saw that the church must now afflict their souls. They must labour. They must agonise or go down. Do you think for one minute 
that the destiny of the church is sure. Unless the deception about, upon God's people is broken, unless they see where they are headed, unless they realise that their faith, like that of ancient Israel, is for the most part nothing more than presumption, unless they realise they are unconverted and earnestly repent, they will be spewed out of God's mouth. Early Writings, page 270. I saw the solemn testimony upon which the destiny of the church hangs has been lightly esteemed, if not entirely disregarded. This testimony must work deep repentance. All who truly receive it will obey it and be purified. But many will rise up against the message that for the most part our people are unconverted and self-deceived that the vast majority of church members have a superficial faith and a false repentance. Notebook Leaflands, Volume 1, page 57, written in 1909. I'm in great travail of soul for our people. We are living in the perils of the last days. A superficial faith results in a superficial experience. There is a repentance that needs to be repented of. And in pamphlet 155, page 12, false repentance is deceiving souls to their ruin. Persons will make spasmodic efforts and appear to feel remorse over their course of action, but do not become converted and soon evidence that the heart is untouched. How can we tell the difference between false and true repentance? A tree is judged by its fruit. What is the fruit of true repentance? What did we read before? It says the message of Laodicea does something for the receiver of the testimony. It kills him to self and the world. And in Southern Review, 16th of February, 1904, it says, The words and deeds of the truly penitent bear witness that theirs is a repentance that needs not to be repented of. They understand the meaning of the apostles' words, Ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Are you dead? How does true repentance make us dead? Review and Herald. 5th of October, 1886, the true follower of Christ will see more clearly his own defects and will feel the need of continual repentance and faith in the blood of Christ. Signs of the Times, 26th of November, 1894, he who is truly penitent loathes, abhors and condemns himself. He finds repentance is a daily, continued exercise, lasting until mortality is swallowed up of life. And a repentance such as this comes only in answer to earnest prayer. The straight testimony is the judgment and our message for God's people who are on the verge of being spewed out. It is the lifeboat that we must embrace if we would be saved in this crisis. It separates those that are fearful of self and pleading with God to be saved from themselves, from those who in their self-confidence and complacency have put afar off the Day of Judgment. It separates those that sigh and cry over the condition of the church from those that see no cause for weeping. It separates the chaff from the wheat, those who receive the seal of God from those whose names are about to be blotted out. Seconds volume of spiritual gifts 229 you are deciding your own destiny you are poor and miserable and blind and naked many I saw were flattering themselves that they were good Christians who have not a single ray of light from Jesus they know not what it is to be renewed by the grace of God and I saw that the Lord was wetting his sword in heaven to cut them down Oh, that every cold, lukewarm professor could realise the clean work that God is about to make amongst his professed people. Dear friends, do not deceive yourselves concerning your condition.
For in the image of the beast is formed, the judgment will pass the living, and your examination will begin. Soon your own name will come up in the judgment. That time is perhaps just months away. Your own day-to-day decisions are already determining your fate. Millions upon millions of God's people, church leaders, pastors and common church members who feel no need for repentance are about to be blotted out. Will you survive the crisis? And again, a quote which probably only a handful of Seventh-day Adventists have ever read. From the Review and Herald, November 2, 1886. And I ask you to listen carefully. Be zealous, therefore, and repent, is the word of God to his professed people. I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Many of our people are backsliding from God. Many are in danger of becoming like the Jewish nation who knew not the scriptures nor the power of God. When Jesus wept over Jerusalem, his tears were for all who are abusing their present privileges. He was dealing with his people as a loving father with a wayward and rebellious child where he had a right to expect earnest, vital piety. He sees insincerity, hollow formalism, pharisaic pride. The eye of Jesus, looking down the ages, was fixed upon our time when he said, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, It is still thy day, O Church of God, whom he has made the depository of his law. This day of trust and probation is drawing to a close. The sun is fast westering. Can it be that it will set and thou wilt not know the things which belong unto thy peace? Must the irrevocable sentence be passed, but now they are hid from thine eyes? I tell you, there is a need to be alarmed. It is time to seek God earnestly. It will be of no avail to make a spasmodic effort only to fall back into spiritual lethargy and lukewarmness. The Saviour is now speaking to his people. Be zealous therefore and repent. If ye are destroyed, it is yourselves alone that are responsible. Ye will not come to me that ye may have life. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings. But ye could not? No, and ye would not. I desired to save you, but ye would not be doers of my word. The arm strong to save is also strong to perish. The warning to Sardis is applicable at this time. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast, and repent, if therefore thou shalt not watch. I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And to us also is the promise extended. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and thou shalt walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In view of that great day, the word of God, in the most solemn and impressive language, calls upon his people to arouse from their spiritual lethargy and seek his face with repentance and humiliation. 
Joel 1, 14 to 15 says, Sanctify your fathers. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is at hand and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rent your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil who knows if he will repent and leave a blessing behind him even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God.